right. Hello, Twim Nation. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, Twim Sisters Edition. I'm Ariane Smith. And I'm Tiffany Hales. And we're back for our monthly monthly visit. Our monthly <laughs> podcast to share our views on things associated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right. Last time we were here, it was the conference recap. It so was the conference recap. It's been a few weeks. Halloween is upon us. Oh, yes, it is. Now, you are more in the throes of Halloween than me because your kids are significantly younger. Yes, I have four children dressing up this year. See, and I really only have one. <laughs> but I'm pleased as punch because we're only doing actual Halloween because my ward doesn't do a trunk or treat. And there's like no school dress up party. So we dress up once. Which I can handle. <laughs> very, very nice. Well, and you know, it's been funny because there've been various memes floating around on Facebook with Ward trunk or treats. And there's a funny one that I saw recently where they had the back of a pickup and they had gravestones for all the things in the church yes. that have gone away in the last year or so. I know. And I remember one of those from last year. And I think last year it had... It was ministering. Ministering in it. And, and this two-hour year, church. A three-hour church. No, because that hadn't even been... Oh yeah, it had. It had. This year it was full of everything. I know. Cub Scouts, Young Women's. They had, you know, the Death of Laurels. Exactly. So I I thought it was, I thought it was rather cute. What will the gravestones say next year? That's a very good question. That's the question. (laughs) The trunk or treat headstones. We should just do a annual check-in with the trunk or treat headstones. Yeah, exactly. So. So you have the funniest story about your calling that oh, you need to share with yes. everybody. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I have been, since this happened, I've been like, oh my gosh, when do we get to podcast again? This is so funny. So probably back in February of this year, I was called to be our ward temple and family history leader. Right. Okay. So they extend this calling to me. I accept the calling. The former ward temple and family history leader comes over to my house, you know, presents to me the ward plan for temple and family history. And I've never had a calling before that was so kind of nebulous and and, and undescribed. Right. Because there's supposed to be a ward temple and family history committee, and it's supposed to be comprised of the ward temple family history leader, a member of the elders quorum, a member of the Relief Society mm-hmm. presidency, and then however many consultants you have in your ward. And so I I was never clear, like, who am I supposed to report to? Am I right. supposed to report to the bishop? You know, what is supposed to be my plan? You know, what's right. the... Well, and they don't do those... Sunday school hour family history yeah. temple classes anymore, yeah. right? So exactly. So you're I, just floating out in just, space just doing your own floating thing. Floating out in space, kind of <laughs> nebulous. So, um, and, and apparently I'm so nebulous, I'm not even on the stake radar because our Relief Society counselor cornered me one Sunday and she said, hey, are you going to the stake meeting tonight? And I was like, mm, no, I don't know anything about a stake meeting. And she said, yes, there's a stake meeting for all Warden Temple family history consultants, the Elders Quorum rep, and the Relief Society rep. And she had just been released that day from mm-hmm. being a counselor in Relief Society. So she wasn't planning on going. So I said, well, fine, I'll go. So I go to this stake meeting, you know, hoping for some enlightenment and enlightenment. And sure mm-hmm. enough, we have enlightenment. You know, one of the first things they talk about is they have this whole diagram about, you know, what the, you know, the line of authority is and how this should be structured in your mm-hmm. ward and how you should be doing that. Who to report to. Who to report to. Okay. You know, so we get through all of that and that's presented by the high counselor. 
And so then the, who is obviously a man. So then the, the, his counterpart, who is a, a woman in our stake gets up and she starts talking more of the nitty gritty about how the reporting and the organization and the structure is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there and she says in passing, she's like, yeah, your war temple and family history leader is to be a priesthood, priesthood holder. And then she continues on. And I sit there and I, I, I pause for a minute and I'm thinking to myself, did she just say the Ward Temple and Family History Leader is supposed to be a priesthood holder? Did I hear her correctly? So I raise my hand and she calls on me and I said, rewind for a minute there. I said, <laughs> did you just say that the Ward Temple and Family History Leader is supposed to be a priesthood holder? And she says, yes, it is. And I said, well, I think that's a bit of a problem in the seventh ward. <laughs> so our elders quorum president was there and he pipes up because he apparently knew I wasn't supposed to have this calling. And he says, oh, oh, yeah, Tiffany, we I, I couldn't really understand why they called you for that calling because they made that change last October. But that's what we did. And and uh, we're, we're aware of this. And I'm so like, is he trying to just shove this under the rug? Like, he, yeah, he's it's fine. It's fine. Be quiet. Uh, exactly. And I'm like, okay. So she goes on. And meanwhile, I pull out my LDS tools mm-hmm. or my LDS uh, a library. Right. And I'm looking up handbook number two. And I'm like, well, sure enough, I'm supposed to be a priesthood leader. So then after the meeting, the elders court president comes up to me and he's like, yeah, you know, technically I couldn't understand why the bishopric was putting you in that calling. But, you know, I'm trying to find somebody that that uh, that we could put in that calling who's a priesthood holder. But, you know, you're still going to have all the responsibility and all the all the all the delegation and the assignments. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't say to this to him in the meeting. I'm like, oh no, if you are calling a priesthood holder to that calling, I am not, he's not going to be in name only. If he's the leader, he's the leader. I'm not doing his job. No, sister, sister Tiffany does not play that game. So, uh, so anyway, so (laughs) the next week I happened to see my relief society, former relief society counselor, I should say, Mm -hmm. who also happens to be the bishop's wife. And she and I are really good friends. And so I say to her, I'm like, Julie, we got a bit of a problem here. I said, I went to the stake meeting and she's like, oh, how was it? And I said, well, I learned that I'm supposed to be a priesthood holder. <laughs> I said, so your husband, the bishop, is in a little quandary here. He either needs to A, release me from this calling or B, give me the priesthood. I'm fine either way. Let me know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I haven't heard the end. So what happened? They have still done nothing. You're still in your calling. I'm still in my calling. I'm still in limbo. And I'm like, well, maybe this is why I'm not functioning as effectively as I think that I should in this calling because <laughs> technically I'm not supposed to have this calling. Oh my goodness. That's so so anyway, so just, just so you know, there you they go. They do things differently in your ward. <laughs> exactly. Is your Sunday school president... A priesthood yes, holder. Yes, our Sunday school president is a priesthood <laughs> okay. holder. Just double checking. Yes, just checking. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, I'm 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 waiting for further enlightenment on That's this issue. So I will return and report. Okay, uh, we expect to hear back on this. Okay, because I feel a new calling might be coming in your future. I kind of feel a new calling might be coming in my future, and I'm happy to work on the committee, mm-hmm. but I just don't think that I should be the de facto leader while no. somebody else has the title. No. I don't think so. No. If they're going to call him as the leader, he needs to be the leader. And it sounds like he was trying to say that to make you feel like, oh, you're still going to be so important. But it kind of has the opposite effect. Well, 
you might think that, but I took it as, well, we know that we can't find a man who will actually do this right. calling. So that's why we really want you to do it. But because we need to have a priesthood holder, we're going to call him so we're in compliance. That's how I took it. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't work. Okay. Okay. So we have to hit on really quick because I don't think it ever got talked about on the podcast because it happened right before conference. Yes. And we had a lot of stuff to recap from conference. There was so much going on from conference that right before conference, they changed the policy of witnessing for baptisms and ordinances. It was huge. And I can't believe we forgot to talk about it. I know. But now, uh, male or female can witness baptisms. Um, yeah, anybody who is over the age of eight and has right. been baptized can witness live baptisms. Mm-hmm. And then in the temple, anybody who holds a limited use recommend, regardless of gender, may witness uh, proxy baptisms. And then, of course, for ceilings, right. any uh Temple recommend holder, male or female, can witness for ceilings. And this is huge. This is so huge. Um, you know, huge in a number of regards. Um, you know, I just want to talk about the the baptisms, temple, the proxy baptisms in the temple really quick. Um, I think I've talked about before that my husband and I do a Saturday night shift in the Meridian Temple and we're in the laundry, which of course is adjacent to the baptistry. And I happened to this last Saturday night, I was out of the laundry room and I happened to walk past the windows and look in towards the font. And I saw a girl sitting in the witness chair and I just thought, how cool is that? But one of the things that reasons that I think it's Mm -hmm. nice is frequently on Saturday nights, they will be coming into the laundry. I'm pulling my husband out of the laundry because they needed more priesthood holders between having to be witnesses at right. the font and, and the ordination too, or and the, the confirmations. confirmations right. So it was not uncommon mm-hmm. for them to pull my husband in. Well, with this new change, they're now down to priesthood holders because they don't have to have priesthood holders mm-hmm. sitting there witnessing. They can have um, kids who are there sitting there witnessing. They can have temple workers who are female witnessing right. and, I I I'm I'm excited about it. I am too. I just think it's just such a great opportunity to get more people involved. Exactly. And I just love, I mean, I know we've talked about this before uh-huh. and total speculation. I just love the idea of President Nelson sitting down, going through all these little nitty-gritty gritty yeah. policies and saying, hmm. Like, I just, you know, yeah. I just have this vision yeah. picture of him just analyzing everything and saying, where, what does this stem from? Is yes. this doctrine? Is this policy? Is it changeable? Is it movable? Should we be working on it? And then, of course, I'm sure he goes to the exactly. Lord in prayer. But I just love the idea that he is He's, paying attention I think to things is, that just haven't ever been yeah. thought of before. I think he is literally going through everything mm-hmm. with a fine-tooth comb, and just like you say, is it doctrine? Is it policy? Can it be better? Does it need to be better? Should we leave it alone? Right. And then taking it to the Lord. So very, very cool. Yes. And cool that you've seen it in action already. I, I have. I You know, I have to say it really... It really almost kind of caught me off guard, took my breath away when I saw this teenage girl sitting there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yes. You know, and, and for... One of my daughters, Lauren, um, you know, her, her 
dad, who is not my husband, um, he is not active, an active member of the church. And so when she gets married, you know, we talked about this. She's like, mom, this is so cool because you can witness my ceiling now. Yeah. See, that's cool that she appreciates it. Yeah. I, when my daughter got home from school the day Uh that they made this announcement, my 12 year old, I pulled her aside and I was like, guess what? Guess what? They changed this policy. And I I was like explaining it to her and she looked at me like, okay. (laughs) I mean, she's so young and she's she's barely started doing baptisms and she's, you know, just in her early years of gospel study, it was a little bit lost on her and fair enough, but that's fine. She's growing up at a totally different time than I was growing up. And so things like this will be much more normal to her than Exactly. Me, so. Well, and of course, my daughter that was excited was the 18-year-old, and so she has a little bit more perspective than the 12-year-old. Right. <laughs> so. Okay, well, should we hit on some stories? Yes, let's start on some news stories, since that is why we're here. Okay, so the first one I'm going to start with is, is a little bit old, but I'm going to call it new to me. And here's why I'm going to call it new to me. So this kept popping up in my Facebook feed and it was popping up in my Facebook feed and it was encouraging me to listen to this podcast called Business Schooled. And it was by Alexis uh, Ohanian. And for those of you who don't know him, he is the co-founder of or uh, he's the co-founder of Reddit and also a founder of Initialized Capital. Well, he did this podcast about a year ago, Mm -hmm. this particular podcast, and why it is now popping up in my Facebook feed as a sponsored thing, I don't know, but it is. Who knows? But what he did is he interviewed our very own Alan Doan in Hamilton, Missouri, along with his mother, Jenny, to discuss the Missouri Star Quilting Company and how they built their business. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, have seen there's a... Oh, there's one of those in-between conference productions that talks about, you know, how they built it. But it was so... There was like a documentary. That's why it popped up in your Facebook feed. It's spying on you. It knows you watched that. Well, I know, but it was like two years ago I watched that. It It was a long time ago. It doesn't matter. They know everything. They know everything. (laughs) Anyway, so... And I had watched that, obviously, between conference Mm -hmm. segments. But it was really neat to see, you know, someone from outside the church looking at this business model that was so cool... And the other thing, too, is I'm like, do you know who Alexis Ohanian is? He's married to Serena Williams. She's BFF with Meghan Markle. He went to the wedding. I didn't know he was married to Serena Williams. Yes, he is married to Serena Williams. And they oh. have their, he is the father of her child. He went to the royal wedding. I bet if, you know, I bet if Al called him up, he could, Al could say, hey, I want a picture of Archie. Send me a picture of Archie. <laughs> <laughs> or when they were there saying, hey, pull up your phone. I want to see Archie. Oh anyway, goodness. so, okay, I was a little starstruck because, you know, I love the Royals. Yes. But um, it is a really good podcast. It's only about mm-hmm. 30 minutes long, really talks about their quilting company, how Hamilton, Missouri has become kind of a destination mm-hmm. spot for quilters. Uh, much, you know, like like Branson, Missouri for, for music. Mm-hmm. And that people come there and they really want to see Jenny because she did all of these YouTube right. videos. And people feel very connected to her as a result of that. In fact, they had to get a cardboard cut out of Jenny because she spends a lot of time on the road. And when people showed up, they wanted their picture with Jenny. So they're taking their picture with the cardboard cut out, which I believe was an idea of Al's. Wow, she's quite famous, isn't she? Anyway, maybe it was just my feed that it keeps popping up in, but it was. (laughs) It did. Well, that's fun. 
Okay, next story we have. This was a story from this week from the Salt Lake Tribune. And it says, did you know the title of the story? Did you know Boise is the heart of surrogacy, thanks in part to Latter-day Saint women? I have to say, I did not know Boise was the heart of surrogacy. I did not know this either. I was actually quite shocked. I was like, what? (laughs) I know. I did this. I did a double take going, huh? Come again? So apparently, Boise is a hub for surrogacy because it's cheaper in the state of Idaho. Yes. And they don't have a lot of legislation in the state of Idaho that governs surrogacy. So you don't have to worry about those pesky rules and regulations. Right. So it says that, um, so they interviewed this woman that has her business in Boise. Her surrogacy agency is called a host of possibilities. She is not LDS, but she does say that because of the large LDS and Catholic population here in the Valley. Yes. She has uh, several LDS women and Catholic women who are surrogates. Yes. Because they believe in families and love families. So she she thinks that's why they're willing to do it. So uh, this article just kind of hit on just some of the unique things about doing this. If you are LDS, um, it said you do need to get permission from your bishop. Which I thought was very interesting. Yes, because I do remember there is something in the uh-huh. handbook. I think they about kind of that. discourage it. Yeah. They don't say you can't do it, but yeah. So, but she also said anybody who's ever asked permission from their bishop mm-hmm. has never been denied. Yeah, that she knows of. That, that she has knows of. Been through her agency has never been denied. Um, and so yeah, it says it was interesting. I think the fee, she said, for surrogacy is $100,000. I know. And that's cheaper. Yes. That's like the cheap Idaho exactly. fee versus exactly. in other states, she exactly. said it could be closer to 200 or 250 Yeah. which is insane. Well, the other thing, too, that I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. is there is a documentary called Made in Boise, and I believe the first part of it is airing on PBS tonight and the second mm-hmm. part tomorrow night that is all about this surrogacy movement here in Idaho. So, right. you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, post-release of this, a lot of times you can get on the PBS app and you're able to see those things that they've aired. Right. But I thought that that was fascinating. I hadn't heard about that documentary and I made a note that I want to go watch that documentary. Yeah, we'll have to watch it. So she says this woman with this agency says about 75% of her surrogates live in Idaho and the other live in 15 other different states. Um, Anyway, it's It was interesting. I had no idea this was a big thing here. Well, the other thing, too, that I thought was interesting is she said 75% of the intended parents live outside of the United States, primarily Spain and Israel. That was super surprising, too. That was, too. I wonder why they're not doing it there. Maybe because of the laws? I would assume because of uh, of the laws. Anyway, very interesting. And then she also says 90% of their intended parents from those countries are two men. Oh, I didn't even notice that part. Yes. I That oh, kind of fascinated me too. Interesting. Well, that makes sense. Anyway, so yeah, she said um, surrogates are paid $28,000 for their first pregnancy and 38000 for subsequent births. Wow. Would you do it? No. For $28,000, would you do it? You know, I I am not a good pregnant person. (laughs) I'm just curious. Like, I really had to stop and think when I saw that number. I was like, 
oh man, that's tempting. And then I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> All you have to do is think back 18 months ago. Oh, no. We're not there So, yet. yeah. No, I always have all sorts of fun complications with my three pregnancies. And then I always have to do a C-section. So I don't think that I could be enticed by that. But- <laughs> well, and it was interesting in the interview. She said that she obviously screens these yes. surrogates thoroughly. And she says if she feels like they're in it for the money, she won't accept them. Yes. And and to me, that sounds like a very good business practice as well. As opposed to the next story we're going to discuss. So this is like the happy, you know, law-abiding church members helping people (laughs) have babies. Have babies. And you have the dark side. I'm going to cover the dark side. We have a gentleman by the name of Paul Peterson. He was, um, I believe, an assessor, an elected official down in Arizona. And he had a little gig on the side. Because, you know, that's kind of the new thing these days. You've got your job and you've got your gig on the side. So he's a member of the church. He's a member of the church. And a politician. And a politician. Double. And an attorney. (laughs) Three three times the dirt (laughs) of this. Okay. Anyway. So his little side gig is bringing women from the Marshall Islands here to America to give birth here in America, give up their babies, and then send them back to the Marshall Islands. Now, he served his mission in the Marshall Islands, hence he understands the culture down there. And so what he would do is he kind of had headhunters, so to speak, in the Marshall Islands that would find women who were pregnant and interested in adoption, match them with U.S. adoptive families, and bring them to America. Right. Now he was doing this in three states. He brought women to Utah. Mm-hmm. He brought women to Arizona and he brought some women to Arkansas. So he started doing this in 2005, probably just a one or two time thing. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually there were 28 women that he brought to Arizona, 40 women that he brought to Utah and four women that he brought to Arkansas. Now, one of the things that he did that is a big no-no is when he brought these women to Arizona, because he didn't want to pay their medical bills and wanted to keep the money that his clients gave him for himself, is he said they were residents of the state of Arizona, so they would qualify for Medicaid. Right. Well, the federal government does not take kindly on people who scam them out of their benefits. Anyway, there was this big investigation that went on for several different months before he was ultimately arrested. Um, he faces federal charges in Arkansas, in Utah, and Arizona. Right. Um, they actually super scary. They went into the house in Arizona at least, yes. and he had locks on like the bedrooms. Like yes, they were being locked up, and he promised he'd pay them, and he wasn't paying them exactly. And I think I read that. One of a couple of them didn't quite understand that they that would they be were giving, giving their their babies up the babies. Up. So, I mean, it was the headline. I was yeah. laughing, and then I read the story, and I was like, "Holy cow! This is exactly some, like terrifying exactly. stuff here." Well, and his side gig or side gig earned him a cool two point seven million dollars, as opposed to about his eighty thousand dollar a year salary as the as a, as an assessor. Oh my goodness. So he just in Arkansas alone if he is convicted of the charges in Arkansas, he faces up to 315 years in prison and the Arkansas charges are the minimal of 
he's got far more charges in Utah right. and far more charges. Oh, he's in big. He he big he trouble. is in big big trouble. I'm so. curious what is going to happen with these babies that were adopted. Well, from what I read in the article, they're not seeking to go back and undo any of the right. adoptions. I mean, that's got to be terrifying for those families. Oh, but yes. Because I'm sure most of them had no clue this exactly. was going on. Exactly. Although, I think the article said there was a couple of prospective parents that actually went to the home and saw where these women were sleeping mm-hmm. because they talk about seeing these mattresses just on the floor in a home full of 15 pregnant women. Mm. Which, if I'm Is that pers- how he got busted? If I'm not sure how he got I would busted, hope that, yeah, because exactly. But if I'm a prospective parent and I'm seeing that, it's gonna I'm give me something fishy is going on. Pause. Yeah. So it's amazing he was able to get away with it for so long. I know. Like, I know. That's almost 15 years. It really is since the first one. Yeah. It's crazy. So yes, so now we have we have compared and contrast how right. to obtain a baby legally versus how to obtain a baby. Not so legally. Right. <laughs> Choose wisely. Choose wisely. All right. What's our next story? Oh, next story. This is really interesting to me. This story was from Desert News this week. Okay. And it was all about Tom Brady's trainer. Okay. Personal trainer who's LDS. This story was fascinating to me because for years, my husband, every time there's anything about Tom Brady, he'll say, you know, his trainer's LDS. <laughs> and he's like this amazing, like, guy, <laughs> like, like miracle worker. <laughs> I'm like, really? So I finally read the article uh-huh. so I could learn more about. Well, and it was a long article. It was, it was very really, in depth it was a about really the long trainer article. and his business. Right. And-, and he's a little bit controversial, which. Well, apparently the sports media in Boston hates him. Yeah, yeah, which my husband has always talked about. Like, oh, yeah, he's a member of the church, but yeah, he's controversial. I I guess the team doesn't really like him, too, because, well, not maybe the team players Mm -hmm. themselves, but the management of the team because he has so much control over Tom Brady. Right. And Tom does whatever he says, which tends to make the the owner and management of the team apparently a little nervous. A little nervous. He's down on the field. He is just like they're... Not yeah. not separable at all. So, but apparently it's working. So this guy's name is Alex Guerrero. Um, he has been working with Tom Brady since I believe 2004. Uh, he's a member of the church. His family converted to the church when he was a child. So he grew up at least yes. part of his childhood in the church. Well, I think it said his family met missionaries in Argentina. Mm-hmm. He was actually born here in America. They... Oh, moved okay. here. So they converted before they moved here. They converted okay. before they moved here, but after. his older siblings, he, he's number four, and the three older, I think, were born when he okay. moved when they moved here. Right. So Tom Brady, who obviously is like the oldest NFL like superhero. Exactly. They say <laughs> he's, he's probably one of the best quarterbacks there ever was. Probably the best ever. He's 42, 42, still going strong. He gives so much credit. To this guy. Yeah. Um, his trainer. He's just, he, like, after they won the Super Bowl last year, he shouted him out on social media saying, I couldn't do it without you. Um, and then he said, I love my Mormons. <laughs> he tweeted, I love my Mormons. 
So, Apparently he didn't get President Nelson's memo. No. We're not Mormon. <laughs> no. So so this guy, Alex, he uses kind of like a combination of nutrition, hydration, brain training, and a special form of massage to create a state of pliability, which is marked by soft, elongated muscles that are with able to stand are able to withstand injury. Yes. So he gives him a lot of credit for, you know, being able to go this late in his career yeah, without most, being injured. Most quarterbacks are not playing at the level he's playing at, let alone right. his age. Right. And I guess this diet is just like so strict. Like if you've ever read an interview yeah. or watched an interview with Tom Brady where he talks about his diet, I mean, he is... So strict and so regiment. Well, and it's all about, when I was reading the article, keeping this pH and alkaline mm-hmm. balance. Yeah. And so you're, you, you're, you eat these foods and those foods and even foods that are healthy, you don't necessarily eat because they upset what he considers to right. be the perfect pH alkaline balance sort of a thing. Yeah. It's all like... Very complicated. Very, very scientific. <laughs> yes. So this trainer guy uses kind of a mixture of like Chinese medicine with traditional Western uh-huh. medicine. And so because of that, a lot of people think he's a kook. Yes. Some people think he's, you know, it's baloney. But then obviously there are others who are like, well, the proof is in the pudding. He's getting results and his business is booming. He does not just do this for yeah. Tom Brady. He has now built kind of this empire. Yeah, and, and he's has, trained people yeah. to do the techniques he's, that he does. He's got people under them. They're opening centers in different cities. I think yeah. LA, Chicago, they're opening clinics yeah. using this method. So well, anyway, it's very interesting. One of the things he talks about in there that I thought was so interesting is um, he talks about, first of all, how his, his faith is kind of at the center of all of this. Mm-hmm. He doesn't shy away from his faith. He doesn't shy away from talking about Jesus Christ and the atonement of Jesus Christ, but and, and openly and freely talking about those concepts with his clients, mm-hmm. you know, including Tom Brady. But he also says, you know, the basis for kind of this system that he has put together is his belief that you know, mind, body, and soul are all connected, which, you know, if you're looking at this from a gospel perspective, that's very much a gospel principle that we believe in is that mind, body, and soul, all, all three are, all three are connected. Right. And, um, you know, one of the things that I kind of appreciated about is he said, look, I don't dog Western medicine. Western medicine is Mm -hmm. great, but it needs to be a more holistic approach because sometimes Western medicine only treats body and doesn't treat mind and soul. And so he was, I believe he said he trained in some sort of a Chinese technique or holistic type, you know, Eastern, Far Eastern medicine, which I thought was interesting. But he's also got his detractors. He's been sued several mm-hmm. times as well for making claims that people have thought were not backed up. Right. And so he, to a large extent, he is somewhat controversial. But um, again, the article is definitely worth reading because um, I really do think there is a connection between mm-hmm. mind, body, and soul. I don't think you can strictly say Western medicine to the detriment of any of everything else. But I don't think you can say holistic medicine through Western medicine out the out the window. Right. I think that there are. I think that there are good elements of both and that it probably does require some sort of a balance, which I think is what he's trying to achieve. Right. Yeah. 
That was so my take. It was interesting. And it, you know, they talk about how he got his start and, you know, he started in like massage therapy as a side gig. Yeah. And he just kind of fell into this kind of way after doing his studies. And it talked about his wife. He's been happily married yes. for, I think, almost 30 yeah, years. Yeah, almost 30 years. Temple since marriage. They had four and, grown children, yeah. a couple of grandchildren. So it was really interesting to learn a little bit about him. So now, yes. next time I am watching the Super Bowl, and Tom Brady is there, and the guy on the sideline. They always talk about. Now I'll know. Well, the other thing, the interesting art, the other interesting thing the article talks about is both he and Tom Brady currently have their houses in the Boston area on the market. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot of scuttlebutt when they both went on the market about the same time because after this next year, Tom Brady is a right. free agent. So everybody's wondering where they will end up. Will he leave? Will he stay? Mm -hmm. Is this just a ploy to say? Hey, Patriots, uh, I, I might go somewhere. What are you going to do about it? I don't, I don't know. know. We will find out. Okay. All right. Our next article is about one of my favorite topics, the Tab Cats, also known as the Tabernacle Choir uh, and Orchestra at Temple Square. So um, two different articles here. First of all, there's an LDS Living article. Um, Kelly Clarkson, many of you know her, American American, um, American Idol, Idol. American Idol alumni. She mm -hmm. is now on The Voice, and she has her own talk show. Mm -hmm. And she had Kristen Chenoweth on her talk show. Now, I do love me some Kristen Chenoweth, and Kristen Chenoweth was the guest artist with the Christmas concert last year for the uh, for the Tabernacle Choir. And so Kristen and Kelly are having a little chat about that. And um, Kelly is just kind of blown away that, you know, Kristen was the guest artist. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, tell me, Kelly says, tell me about the Tabernacle Choir. That's crazy. So you went to sing with them? And Kristen talks about, you know, singing with the Tabernacle Choir. It's really a rite of passage. And she tells Kelly, she's like, you need to go do it, girl. And Kelly's all <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 you're cooler than me. I couldn't do this. And Kristen said, oh, yeah, we can make this happen. So then it created all this scuttlebutt about is Kelly Clarkson going to be right. one of the guest artists? But alas, this week they announced their guest artist. Not this year. Not this year. Maybe next year. Well, Cross and your fingers, people. It's true. <laughs> And, you know, there are many people that the choir would like to get and people who would like to sing with the choir, but it's about an alignment of schedules. Right. And so they have to make sure schedules aligned. But this is who they uh, said are going to be their guest artists this year. They are going to have Broadway singer Kelly O'Hara, which I really did not know who she was. Um, but it did say that she's received seven Tony Awards during her Broadway career, won Best Actress in a Musical in 2015 for her performance as Anna in The King and I. And along with her is going to be Richard Thomas. Okay, he's on something. What is he on? You don't know who Richard Thomas is? Well, his picture looks familiar, but what's oh, he on? Oh, my gosh. You're going to die when I tell you this. John Boy from The Waltons. That's what he's on. He's John Boy from the Waltons. <laughs> that's it. So that's, I, I took one look at his picture and I said, how do I know him? Yes. So that's where he grew to fame was obviously in the 1970s, the television show, The Waltons, which was set in the Depression era, I believe, in the Blue Ridge Mountain sort of area with this family. And, and he was the oldest son. And he's appeared in numerous TV productions and things, things since then. I did see one. One, like Sunday night made for TV movie 
mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, where um, it had Brooke Shields in it and she was the victim and he was he was the bad guy in the movie, which oh. is you know kind of out of character. He was stalking her at her <laughs> workplace and the whole nine yards. He was quite evil in this. So um, anyway, the Tabernacle Choir December Christmas concert will be the 12th through the 14th of December. Now, very interesting. They are doing ticket selection this year quite differently. So in the past, if you wanted to get tickets, what you would have to do is you'd have to get your uh, conference center account. And then they say, okay, tickets will be released at 10 a.m. And it was first come, first serve. I tried to get Kristen Chenoweth tickets last year, and I could not because there are so many people in the queue and so many people are trying to get in. And it depends on your luck in getting in. depends on your internet speed. It just depends on, you know, after an hour and a half, I gave up. So what they are doing this year is they are actually doing their very own lottery in Utah. You thought the lottery in Utah was outlawed? Oh, no, 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 no. You want to go see Richard Thomas and Kelly O'Hara. What you are going to do is you are going to get on the uh, Temple Square website. You're going to create your account if you don't have an account. Okay. You are going to register and you're going to say, I would like to have tickets for Thursday night. Or I would like to have tickets for Friday night. Or I would like to have tickets for Saturday night. You pick the night that you want your tickets. You pick your number of tickets. And you get thrown into a pool for that night's worth of tickets. So registration is open between now and November 3rd. After November 3rd, they will literally do a lottery. So if they have 150,000 requests for Saturday night tickets, Mm -hmm. 20,000 people get randomly chosen out of their however many requests they have for Saturday night. It's so much better. It's so much better because then you're not stuck in the queue and it really just does seem a lot more fair to me. So I say kudos to the church for redoing how they issue tickets. I like it. Okay. Great. Good idea. Okay. What is next? Oh, well, this is not a great one. Okay. Warning. Not a great one. Um, so I, the past couple months that we've podcasted, we'd have had several stories of male priesthood holder leadership people acting out in a sexually yes. inappropriate <laughs> manner. Yes. Not making wise choices. Now we have a lady who has done the same. And in all fairness, because we've picked on the men, we need to pick on the women. Right. Or at least this woman, because right. we only have one woman. Right. So this is actually super sad. This was uh, came out early in October. Her name was Cammie Lee Chestnut, 41 years old. This was in South Jordan, Utah. And she was abusing a one of her young women. She was yeah. a young women's leader. And this is just, I was just shocked when I read this headline because yeah. you just don't hear about no. it. But I'm sure, I mean, it, it happens. happens. Um, and so this was a girl and her, the girl's mom and this woman worked together in young women's or served together in young women's. And she was charged with sexually abusing this girl when she was 16 years old. Well, and I think it continued until yeah. she was 18. It continued for several years. At, at one point in time, she told someone what happened and then she was interviewed by the children's justice center and then denied it and kind of retracted her story. The victim that was, um, anyway, it all came out. Uh, this woman has been arrested. Obviously she 
has yes, not been have, in young women's. We have to say this is alleged conduct. Just for clarification, she is alleged to have engaged in sexually inappropriate behavior with a girl under the age of 18. Right. So there's that. There you go. All right. Well, let's move on to a um, um, a happier one. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily happier, but at least at least we're not talking about sexual misconduct. That's right. So, but this one makes me sad. Too. This one makes me sad too. There is a historic Latter Day Saint Chapel on University Street in Salt Lake City, so it is obviously adjacent to the University of Utah campus. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, a, and if you want to see pictures of it, please go to LDS oh, Architecture. You have to look; it's so pretty, so pretty. One of the older, really, really unique chapels. Exactly. Utah has several. Well, there's several. All over across the country, but they're becoming yeah. less and less because the church is selling them off. And that's what's happening to this one. That is exactly what's happening to this one. So there is a Facebook page dedicated to LDS architecture. If you go on that Facebook page, you will see pictures of this chapel. And it will also, I think, direct you to, I believe, LDS architecture. And this is not sponsored by the church. It's a gentleman who loves LDS architecture right. who it's puts together hobby, stuff. And he puts awesome yes. pictures on there of chapels all across. Anyway, so you the see world. the entrance to this so. chapel. And at the top of it, there is this huge huge mosaic of Christ. And um, it's just very cool. The church has not used this building for about 18 months. It doesn't say why they abandon it. I'm going to assume like so many of their older buildings, expensive to maintain, um, just all sorts of issues uh, that it was more costly to use it than to not. Right. Probably didn't have the right layout that we need these days. Exactly. Because you got to think when these buildings were built and this was designed and built in 1924, you know, you didn't have the block system then. Mm-hmm. You had Sunday school in the morning and then you came back in the afternoon or the late evening for sacrament meeting. Relief Society was on Tuesday. Young women's, young men's, whatever they called it at that point in time, you know, was on Wednesday night. So um, the ward that was using that has been in another chapel, and they've always kind of been hoping that they can get back into this one. But the church confirmed that that's not going to happen because they're going to sell it to the University of Utah. Now, the, the, the silver lining in all of this is, first of all, this building is on the National Historic Register right. place. So you can't really just start taking the ham wrecking ball to it and tearing it down. So the university is going to preserve it. They're going to use the chapel for concerts in their fine arts program. Um, the Sunday school classrooms will be for college courses. Bishop's office will be faculty digs. So it's going to breathe new life into it. Someone asked about this big Christ mosaic that's mm-hmm. on the outside of it, because obviously the University of Utah is a state-run institution, and they are looking at that as art. And they're going to treat it as an art piece, good, not as a, we are making a religious statement sort of <laughs> right. a piece, which... Which, you know, makes me happy again if there's a silver lining in this. I am really glad that it's not mm-hmm. seeing the wrecking ball because a lot of these older buildings do ultimately see the wrecking ball. And I have a lot of affinity for these older buildings because the building that you and I grew up in and mm-hmm. went to church in as young children was built in the late, around the same time as this, the late 1920s. And so, um, 
It just was a quirky, cool building. Yes. So and staircases randomly in places. Random places. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but now they now we're kind of a one size fits all when it comes to our buildings. So although have you ever been to the chapel in Sun Valley, Idaho? No, I've seen it. I've driven past it. It's It's got the whole like big, st- steep, yes. A-pitched roof. It's like a cabin chapel. Is it really? It's cool. I mean, it's not as old as yes. some of these buildings. And obviously, it's a tiny one. Sun Valley, Idaho is like a small resort ski uh-huh. town. Um, but we were up, my husband and I were up there just on a... <laughs> get away one time and we just went and popped in. They were doing uh-huh. a blood drive. It was a weekday. Uh-huh. And we were like, we got to go check out this chapel. Well, yeah, if it's open. And it was really cool inside. Was it really cool? So there's just some of those fun ones are They left. hadn't redone it with the, with, the, with the rug that goes halfway up the no, wall. No, no, it was very cool. So yes, treasure those older exactly. unique chapels because they're fun. Exactly. Um, all right. Our next article, this is an article by Jana Reese. She published two articles within the past couple weeks of, about the new Temple Recommend interviews where she picked them apart, picked the wording apart as if she were writing a paper for grad school. It's very true. <laughs> so she did a part one. What'd she talk about in part one? The chastity um, questions. She talked about the chastity questions. And like what's the group the affiliation wording. questions. Right. So, and then but she we're going to focus on part two. Yeah, we're skipping part one. The Then she did a part two where she picked apart the new wording on the garments. Yes. And on the word of wisdom. And on the Sabbath day. Yes. So it was interesting. It was just interesting to see her take on it because I haven't, uh, clearly I have not picked it apart <laughs> like hey. this. This is not my job though. <laughs> so she brought up some interesting points that I was like, oh, oh, I didn't realize it said that. I yes. Mean, every little detail of the wording, which you we tend to do sometimes yeah. as saints, we analyze these things. So she started with the section on garments. Um, she talked about how they took out the words that the garment should be worn night and day as instructed in the endowment, um, because I guess it's not really officially instructed in the endowment. That that language is not contained in the endowment. (laughs) I never noticed before. I never noticed before either. (laughs) But I guess they put that in, in like the seventies into the temple recommend interview questions. And then even though it wasn't technically in the endowment part of it. The- well, and the other thing too is mm-hmm. they they always read, and I'm curious whether they're still going to read. It seems like they always read a policy in the middle of your interview about how the garment is supposed right. to be worn, how the garment's supposed to be treated, etc. And it is unclear with these new questions if that policy is still going to continue to be read or if the new wording of the question just replaces that entirely. Right. So she is saying that... Right. It used to say wear a night and day and they used to have the little, Yeah, they'd give you some examples. Don't in take there. it off for sports. If you don't have to, or, don't go mow the lawn. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's speculated that that part might not be in yeah. anymore and that the general, what's the new wording that you should, I think they left in that you should uh, not neglect the garment for activities that can be reasonably done. 
um, is still in the yes. new wording, but they've taken out this wear at night and day. Yes. So her speculation was, you know, is this, are people, are people going to push the line on this? It, does this give people permission to push the line? Is it going to be like a don't ask, don't tell? I'm pretty sure it's going to be one of those things where use your guidance. Exactly. You know, everyone is in charge of yourself. You do what you feel good about and what you, you know, can pass the yeah. interview with. I don't think that they're going to get like super specific. Yeah. Well, the other thing she says that I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. is that she says, um, you know, that she suspects that probably it will be a don't ask, don't tell approach. Mm-hmm. Um that um, among younger members of the church, so I would assume she would be referring to millennials, um, they apparently already regard the specifics of garment wearing with more latitude than their elders. And she has a link there to click on for the data, which I wanted to click on that link, but I didn't get a chance to do so. But oh, I, she did that big article yes. about millennials, right? But I think it's so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't have to click on the data to know that that's true. Right. Because, you know, if you look on Instagram and, you know, some members of the church that are quite, you know, prominent on Instagram and in various social media feeds, um, it's it's kind of obvious that, you know, how when and how they wear their garments. And, you know, my husband recently went to Utah and he came home and he's like, man, they really think garment wearing in Utah is optional. I mean, it was kind of his kind of take on it. I didn't dis- I didn't ask him what he saw or anything like that. But I don't know. I just scratched my head because I I honestly try really hard to, to not be judgy, judgy, because mm-hmm. I don't want to be judgy, judgy. But the garment thing is one of the things I struggle with in not being judgy, judgy. <laughs> I find myself being super judgy, judgy when it comes to the garment thing. Oh, and you're out now. I The world knows. The world knows. <laughs> Okay, but you know, at least I'm self aware of my judgy, That's judgy, right. because that is the first part is so that when I'm judgy, I can remind myself, okay, do not be judgy. But it's hard for me not to be judgy because, <laughs> dang it, if I have to wear them, you should too. <laughs> when it's 108 degrees out in the summer. Exactly. <laughs> do you think I want to be in a tankless shirt? You, you're a sleeveless shirt? You better believe I do. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's funny. All right. So the next part she hit on was the Sabbath day that they are now including, which was not included before, a question in the Temple Recommend about the Sabbath day. And is your, I can't remember the exact wording, but again, it was very vague, like, is your Sabbath day? Yeah. Well, they used to just say, do you try and attend your meetings on Sunday? And now it's like, and now it's more like a worship, worship at home and at church, and I don't know the exact wording, but it's more, it's broader. Right, right. So um, she personally appreciated that was in there because she loves her Sabbath day. Yes. Um, And then what was the other? Oh, the word of wisdom was the third thing she picked apart. Um, And she said, the word of wisdom has undergone major changes in its interpretation and application over time. Um, And so... I think the new wording is they put also put in along with, do you keep the word of wisdom? I think there's a phrase that's, do you like, understand, do you understand the exactly? Word of wisdom. So I think that's very interesting. I, I isn't do it? too. Because 
that word of wisdom is one that's always coming back up to the surface exactly. on the various interpretations. Okay. And I know she reported on that in her report on millennials too, about yes. how they have different interpretations. So they like to drink themselves some coffee. Anyway, go read Jenna's article if you okay. would like to pick apart the wording of the Temple Recommended Interview questions. All right. Uh, before we get to our favorite segment, Mormons Behaving Badly, I'm going to do two quick shout outs on two quick stories. Um, first of all, the Cuba's ambassador to the U.S., Jose uh, Cabanas, uh, he visited with the First Presidency last week, as any good dignitary coming to Salt Lake does. Their nice. first stop is what I like to refer to as One Church Plaza, to pay <laughs> homage to the true power and leadership in Utah. And then it also says he went to speak at Brigham Young University and then had a diplomatic luncheon in downtown Salt Lake. Well, he made the rounds. Our last shout out is, sadly, we had a missionary die in the Republic of Congo, a 21-year-old elder. He was, I believe, from the Congo. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name because I will slaughter it for sure. But apparently he had a brief illness and passed away. Oh. So super sad. So sad. We had one of those last month too. We did. And that was more an accident. Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. it's a little bit more unusual when they die of an illness right. than an accident, for especially at that age. Young guys. Yeah. All right. On to our favorite okay. segment. Mormons behaving badly. Mormons behaving badly. This one, this one is very random and very full of... Random church, well-known church affiliations, church adjacent <laughs> people. I don't even know. Okay. So uh, this story was a Mormon financial scammer was sentenced to 14 years in prison. And this story showed up in Newsweek okay. magazine last week, or at least on the website for Newsweek. Uh, this guy's name was Rick Korber. Um, he was a Utah real estate guy running a Ponzi scheme, your average story yeah. of the Utah Ponzi scheme guy. Uh, he was sentenced last week to 14 years in federal prison. Now that's where the average run-of-the-mill story ends. Right. <laughs> and this is where the fun begins. The funny thing was, uh, as they're writing about his sentencing, they said the sentencing was a wild affair. They said many supporters packed the courtroom, heckling the judge and yelling objections, which really shocks me because usually when someone runs a Ponzi scheme, they don't have very many supporters. Yeah, they mostly have victims in there saying, I lost my life savings. Right. By the time they were arrested, they don't have many supporters, but I guess he did. Um, so one of these, these supporters that was outside of the courthouse for the sentencing was... Ammon, no, what's his name? The Bundy guy. Yes, Ammon, Ammon Bundy. Ammon Bundy. You remember the guy that got arrested for the federal land? Took over a little wildlife refuge. Yes. Well, <laughs> apparently this gentleman had contributed to Ammon Bundy's defense. Yes. And so Ammon Bundy, his legal defense. So Ammon Bundy was returning He the was favor. there to back him up. So it says he was outside of the courthouse and he constructed a podium out of a trash can. And was claiming that the only reason this Corber guy was targeted was because he contributed to Bundy's legal defense. So he was rallying people, saying his, it was not a Ponzi scheme. His people outside the this courthouse. This was the government trying to get back at him for helping me. Right. It said there was somebody else inside the courthouse that got escorted out because they were yelling at the judge. <laughs> As an attorney, I don't recommend you yell at the judge. And then it also says that during the trial, the original trial, I think the original trial, maybe it was, yeah. 
during the trial, Richard, filmmaker Richard Dutcher, if you remember him, he is the God's, God's Army, Army guy, testified at the trial that Korber contributed $5 million into an erotic horror film called Evil Angel, also made by this filmmaker, who apparently has gone from dark to darker. <laughs> In his filmmaking. Well, here's the funny part of it. Read the funny part of what they intended to do with the profits from the erotic horror oh, movie. Right. So the profits, he contributed $5 million to Richard Dutcher's erotic horror movie. The profits were intended to bankroll a second religious film about the life of Joseph Smith. Um, that never happened. <laughs> and... So anyway, prosecutors claimed that Korber used his faith as a point of entry to get money from his victims. Um, obviously, a lot of them in Utah, probably associates he knew through church. Anyway, quite the wild, quite the wild tale performance in court last week, and and, and quite the eclectic group of associates he has. No. I would not tend to put Ammon Bundy and Richard Dutcher in the same category. No, he, he does have the assortment of friends, doesn't okay. he? All right, so there's that. All right, should we move on to our favorite things? Sure, let's do our favorite things. Let's do our favorite things. Okay, my favorite thing I wanted to share with everyone this month was a Instagram account. Okay, I've been taking this parenting class Local, just a local parenting class by like the guru. She's LDS parenting guru in okay. the, in the area. Apparently, has been teaching these classes for years. So I decided to go check it out, see okay. what it was about. Anyway, in this parenting class, we were talking about teenagers and how to talk to your teenagers. And one of the other moms shared that Brooke Romney of Brooke Romney writes, yes has an Instagram account and on her Instagram account every Tuesday she posts a Teen Talk Tuesday. Oh. on the Instagram account and it is a subject for you to just talk about with your teens. And it's not like lecture talk. Uh -huh. It's like let's just get our teens talking. Like oh. let's just have some grown-up conversations. Oh, I like with that. With our teens, like our teens are getting older, mm -hmm. let's see if we can get them to talk. So she does a lot of like current events, like um, she had one on there about uh, the impeachment. Uh -huh. And she tells you just, you know, here's some bullet points of uh -huh. things you can discuss with your kid and like questions you can ask. And it's not, she's not trying to like have you lecture to your child a certain way. She just is giving you bullet points so that you can have a, just a discussion mm -hmm. and get their feelings on it. She had one teen talk about the whole like Ellen DeGeneres and George Bush oh. like friendship thing that was a yes. controversy a couple weeks ago. And she kind of talked about that. And here's some bullet points of like how you guys can talk about this and get your teen's opinion. Mm -hmm. What do they think about this? And, and she did, uh, she had one on like, how do you feel about you know, paying student athletes, yeah. like just questions yeah. that you can ask your teenager and get their thoughts on yeah. just, just for the sake of getting them talking and, uh, no, you know, no pressure to have a learning, uh -huh. teaching, preaching moment, just a talk. Mm. So I looked at her Instagram account and I thought, you know what, those are, it's kind of cool to just have some prompts of what to talk to your teenager about. 
So I liked it. It's just Brooke Romney writes her Instagram account. If you go look. Okay. I will have to do that. Every Tuesday she posts a new like prompt. Because I have a teenager and that would be several. And that would be a good thing to talk about. Yeah. Okay. My favorite thing. And I don't think I have shared this before. So if if I have shared this, you you have to stop me. Okay. Okay. As many of you know, I have a daughter on a mission. And so, um, one of the things that I told her I was going to do while she was on her mission was, and her name is Shelby, was I ordered myself a flat Shelby. Have I talked about flat Shelby? I don't think I've talked about flat Shelby on this podcast. Okay. So flat Shelby is a life-size cutout of my daughter who is on a mission. And I ordered her from Alpha Graphics, who are in Layton, Utah. And if you uh, all want the their contact information and the discount code, if you have a missionary, let me know. So what I did is I sent a full-size body picture of her. She sent one to me where she's got her missionary tag on. Mm-hmm. I sent that to them. They then asked me, you know, how tall she was so they could create it and make it life-size. And they sent me a proof, and I proofed it. And then they sent it to me in this cardboard envelope. She folds up into thirds and she is so fun. First of all, she is like incredibly life-size. It it's, looks it's freaky. So real. When you first got it, I went over to Tiffany's house uh-huh. when she first got this. And they had flat Shelby just standing right inside the door. And I walked into her house and I was like, what? <laughs> like I about just Yeah. Yeah. She's totally freaky. I thought she came home from her mission. I was like, what's going on? And then you were the first person who thought that. I had to do a double take. So we have, we have repositioned her to right outside my husband and I's bedroom door. So she's kind of out of the way because we like to keep her up because honestly, it's really fun to see a full size cutout of your missionary when they're gone. (laughs) It makes them seem not so far away. But then here's the other thing we do with Flat Shelby. Flat Shelby travels. And so Flat Shelby has been to Utah. Flat Shelby likes to go to all sorts of ward events. And anytime I take her to a ward event, I let people in the ward take pictures with her. And then I send her those pictures. One of my friends got a flat Seth because he, her son was getting married mm-hmm. and they needed a fill in for the family pictures. And so when the reset, they had flat Seth out for the reception. So I promptly took flat Shelby and <laughs> met him up with flat Seth and let him take a picture together. That's so funny. And so, you know, when it was Shelby's birthday, we all took pictures with her. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of been a really fun thing to do. I send those pictures to Shelby. And so it's really cool for her to be able to see friends and family taking pictures with her. And uh, it's just been a really fun thing to do. So that's been my favorite thing. If you are a parent of a missionary, get a flat missionary Think of all of the fun things and adventures your flat missionary can have. She folds so up funny. for travel very conveniently. She's so funny. Yes. And uh, it, it's just really been a fun, fun thing. In fact, maybe I'll give you a picture of flat Shelby and you can put that on our Instagram account. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do so that. So everybody can see what my flat Shelby looks like. We'll have to do it. And then we'll put the, the name of we'll, the website. Yeah, so. and the link. So. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Twim Nation, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Whether you're listening to this in the evening or the morning or the afternoon, uh, we appreciate uh, your listening to uh, our nonsense and our dribble that we like to provide once a month. And as always, you can find This Week in Mormons in many different social media platforms. We have a Facebook account. We have um, Instagram. We also have a Twitter. And of course, any 
comments, you can direct to Jeff at thisweekinmormons.com. And he'd really appreciate it if you hopped on Patreon and Patreon and asked and uh, promised to donate a dollar a month to keep the lights on. So if you feel so inclined, please do that. Have a happy Halloween. Thanks for listening. Break it down. I was working late on my half Torah when I heard a knock on my bedroom door. I opened it up and to my surprise, there was a werewolf standing there with glowing gold eyes. He said, tomorrow, my son, you will be a man. But tonight's the time to join the Wolfen Clan. Tomorrow, you will stand at the Beamer and pray. But tonight, let's Gaze at the moon and bay. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolf. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men.